0: welcome to the sabbath school lesson for this week the title is the restless prophet my name is tom kent and we're going to be studying through the book of jonah we're not going to necessarily be following the lesson strictly but we're going to allude to it in certain points that it does make uh, but mainly finding our study in the book of jonah and looking at this this uh this message of finding true rest and uh, looking at the experience of Jonah and learning um, just aspects and and points from his life that can show us uh, how we too may be falling into the ditch of looking for rest in the wrong places. So let's pray together. Let's ask for God's guidance and his wisdom and his spirit to teach us now. So let's pray. Father, Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to learn of you, and to read of your truths, Lord, truths that are so beneficial for us, experiences that have been in the past in these lives that are an example to us, Lord, that teach us, that uh, exhort us, Lord. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. And so, Father, we pray, let this word Uh, Be open to our eyes. Let your Holy Spirit give us understanding. And, Father, my simple prayer is that Christ will be lifted up and that we will be drawn closer to him Uh, even now is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Jonah is an interesting book in that it's four chapters long, but there's such a weighty message in this book. I love the fact that... uh, there are so many lessons to learn from the life of Jonah, but more than this, as I've been contemplating and reading, I think to myself of how much of a parallel Jonah's experience is to God's church today. The interesting thing that we find is um, The first few verses here, as we read in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Now the the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting already. Uh, Nineveh, uh, we know, is a city of about three days' journey from one side to the other. We know that it says it in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3. But in the book of Nahum, uh, just a couple books to the right, uh, Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1, and Nahum chapter 3 and verse 19, we're told that this was a city that was full of lies. Um, And it was a bloody city. We're told that this was a city. Uh, that was committing wickedness uh, towards others continually, and and so what we find here in in this present context is that this city uh, is a grand representation of um, just the 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 wickedness that um, can be found in our world even today. The reason why I find this interesting is that God says to um jonah he says go to nineveh and cry out against it and the interesting thing is, is as we're going to learn when we read on god actually says give them a message this message he he tells jonah to give them a specific message and he's telling jonah to go to nineveh and a place that is is full of all sorts of different sins and, and wickedness and the bible describes it as that great city as we study these different phrases our mind is directed to the book of revelation in the book of revelation chapter 14 verses 6 through 12 we find a similar experience for god's people god has given god's people a specific message to go uh, to the world and in specifics to go to babylon that great city calling god's people out into true worship, uh, calling God's people uh, who are found in this this uh, this place of wickedness who who are longing for for truth, who are longing for this experience of rest in salvation uh, you know are being called out uh, to repentance and to to follow in the ways of the Lord And it's interesting here it says but Jonah he arose to flee. Uh, Tarshish from to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and man, how how much of a revelation that is to us as Adventists? Very much so. It is um, almost uh, just a striking parallel to the later the the final church of the seven found in Revelation chapter three verses fourteen to twenty-two. Um, same experience, you know. They think they're fine. They're looking for rest in in the ways that are not uh, Christ's ways, Um, but little do they know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It's interesting from the text also here that it says that Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Just a simple observation is that in this text, fleeing from the presence of the Lord is synonymous with not obeying God's call to go and preach that message. And, um, yeah, I just find that interesting. I find that something that I'm, I'm still chewing on and, and thinking about. But I think it's an interesting application uh, and an interesting thought for us to consider. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It's interesting that Jonah flees uh and maybe some thoughts come up before us you know what is this prophet doing fleeing and it's very very much so uh that you know Jonah was seeing things and seeing this calling maybe from a human standpoint and and I guess to him it seems useless you know and and profitless have you ever had uh, that thought where you think about certain people that you may know or that you've seen and you think to yourself, ha, huh, nah, they'll, they'll never turn. They'll never, they'll never accept Jesus. And maybe similar thoughts were those that were in the mind of Jonah in, in hearing this, this calling from God. And uh, I guess we could say that Jonah's mind wasn't kept on God, wasn't kept in the love of God. Uh, you know, experiencing and, and being reminded of of his love and his power. The lesson talks about the need for that to, as it says in in Jude, to be kept in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God, you know, a love that is not of the world, a love that is uh, described as pure and holy and righteous and is exampled in a life of obedience to God's commandments. Instead, uh, Jonah himself finds himself running away from that, and that's this is really the interesting thing. To be kept in God's love is really the uh, the divine um, way of experiencing rest. If we truly live in obedience to God, in other words, we're living according to how we were created to live, and that is what it means to find true rest through Christ being restored to a place of obedience in God. And that's that's rest. Finding rest in Christ with forgiveness and and experiencing repentance through Him and through the power of His Holy Spirit and the grace of God working in our lives, walking in His law. That's rest. Um, but how often do we, as Jonah, run away from that, thinking we can find rest in other things? In the things of this world, Jonah thought that by going to Tarshish, he could find rest, a place that was very far away and maybe some a place that seemed appe- appealing to him. Um, but as we're about to find, Jonah actually finds true rest in a place that is definitely not appealing. Uh, so let's, let's keep reading. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will be calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now I just want you to catch this. He's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and and, man, when we study the prayers of the prophets. I just find they're so powerful and I encourage you you know if you're reading this and and you're or you're listening to this, when you go home don't don't just read this prayer that's found in Jonah chapter 2. I want you to read uh, or at least I encourage you to read uh, the prayer of Daniel in in Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through to about 23. It's such a powerful prayer and I think there's there's so many lessons to learn from this experience of prayer uh, in the midst of, of uh, for Daniel captivity and for Jonah uh, in the midst of despair. Chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out on dry land. I just want to pause and just make a simple point, but a point that I find and have found in my own life, very powerful. Sometimes we can be nervous and run away from what God is calling us to do, thinking that we can find rest in other things, whether they're the things of the world, whether they're returning to the things of our past, thinking that we can find some sort of rest there, but it's all all nothing. It's, there's no rest. It's all vanity when it's not according to God's will. Jonah is in a place where you would not expect to be experiencing rest. He's in the belly of a fish, man. Like there's there's no rest there. You wouldn't think you can find any refreshment there, but he finds ultimate refreshment. He finds ultimate rest in the belly of a fish. And when you read and you study his prayer, it's so powerful because it's like Jonah himself comes to a new revelation, uh, a deeper experience, a deeper revelation of, of Jesus Christ, of God. Deeper and deeper again, um, you know, as, as he's going through these tough experiences, as he calls upon the Lord, he's reminded of his grace and his mercy. And it can be the same for us. You know, again, you know, we often talk about this, but it's so true. How often when we go through things of despair, we find, um, ourselves in sticky situations literally for Jonah um, and and you know so he should right he, he disobeyed the lord and and he goes through this bitter experience but even through that God is merciful and God can help and he can bring healing and he can bring peace into your life and for Jonah he brought rest and God can do the same for us now i find this next point probably something that, is very convicting to me in, 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 a, in a big way, and it's, it's to do with Jonah's preaching. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. There it is, right? Okay, there we go again. Another connection to Revelation chapter 14. And preach to it the message that I tell you. There we go. The specific message that God gives to Jonah again, another contrast. I mean, another parallel with Revelation chapter fourteen. A specific message to that great city, and it says here. Um, so Jonah, after experiencing that experience of rest, right through prayer and connection with God in the belly of the, not in the belly of the whale, in the belly of the fish. For some reason, um, growing up, you you think that it's a whale, but it's a fish. Uh, we don't know the exact um, understanding of of what what that fish was anyway it says here Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city a three day journey in extent and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk now catch this then he cried out and said yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown eight words eight words that was the sermon now i know that um you know oftentimes jonah's referred to as one of the greatest evangelists you know and so on and so forth and for this reason and for that and he only spoke this amount of words but there is an interesting point to be made here contrast the amount of words spoken by jonah With the amount of words spoken in jonah's prayer in chapter 2. this is a simple point but oftentimes the simple points are the ones that we often neglect looking for deeper points just think about this and come to this logical conclusion what if our experience in ministering and and sharing the gospel whether it's in the pulpit whether it's on the doors whether it's in home you know one-on-one studies what if our method was based on this experience of Jonah, finding rest in Christ, spending time in prayer, pleading with God for God's Holy Spirit to be upon those who we are sharing the message with, pleading for God's Spirit to be within us, pleading uh, for a fresh and deeper revelation of Jesus Christ in our lives, pleading for that, and then going and preaching the message. Sometimes and. You know, I'm guilty of this myself. Sometimes it can be very easy to spend minimal amount of time in prayer, five, ten minutes, ten minutes, and then go and preach a sermon for an hour. You know, now think about that. That's so upside down. It's so upside down. And the reason is because as Laodiceans, man, we are so deceived. We are so deceived. We think we are rich and increased with goods, but we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We rely on self, we are of the flesh, we need to be crucified and we really need to realize the power of prayer in experiencing new life. Um, and, and I just think, man, how, how powerful would it be if the amount of time we spent in prayer, in preparation for ministry, in preparation for preaching, in preparation for, for sharing the truth far outweighed the amount of time that we practically did that ministry. Think about it. That's that's a crazy thought, but it's, man, it's, such a, it's a rebuke to me. That's what it really is. And it's something that I pray the Lord will convict me and lay a, a deeper conviction on my heart that that is my need. Friends, there will never, ever, ever come a revival and reformation in our lives if we think that somehow it's just going to be handed in our lap. Man, we need to be praying. We need to be seeking God. We need to be asking for his spirit to do this work in our lives. And we need to be walking in obedience to him. Jonah found rest not only in the belly of the fish, but also in the fact that when he heard the word of the Lord come to him, he arose and went to Nineveh, unflinching obedience. Man, what a rebuke to us. We need that kind of experience of loving obedience with Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Man, what a lack of love we have for Christ in that we don't keep his commandments. Trust me, if, if we would just simply learn what it means to love Christ and to love him deeply in our lives, to place him always before us and to walk with him day by day, moment by moment, we would have no trouble keeping his law, we would have no trouble walking with him and uh, experiencing that life of obedience. Verse 5 of chapter 3, the Bible says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Just keep that in mind. The people of Nineveh believed God. They believed this message. When they heard it, though it was short, they were convicted, and they went about to experience, have that experience of repentance. From the greatest to the least of them. Verse 6, then the, word of the, then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor uh, herd nor flock taste anything Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Interesting. The Bible says that the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, this belief, this uh, experience of hearing God's word and believing it, it was accepted by God. And God chose to uh, relent from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. I just want you to think about these words. The people of Nineveh believed God. That's verse five. Now read verse 10. Then God saw their works. Let me repeat that again. Verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Verse 10. Then God saw their works. For some reason, (laughs) we think uh, in this day and age, that we can believe God without there being an experience of, of change that takes place in our life. Now, this is just something that's coming out as, as um, you know, f- a f- you know, false gospel and, and something that Satan is using to deceive many. The truth is, is that when we truly believe God with all of our being, with all of our heart, mind, and soul, our lives will show it. That's the simple point. Our lives will show it. We'll choose to to do works, meet for repentance. You know, there's there's an experience that changes when we repent. You know, the Bible says in in two Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen, "If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new." Think about that. And this is this is the thing, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because this is so important in realizing and understanding our need of rest. We will never experience God's rest for our lives if we think that we can just believe uh, God and then continue on with our life, going the way it is going on on a fast track to destruction. You no, know, now but now we just have the name of Christ on it. This is this is a terrible thing that unfortunately. Um, We want to believe, and it's because our deeds are evil and we love it. That's what it is. We're not willing to be dead with Christ. We're not willing to be crucified with Him. We're not not willing to let go of our old life and experience a new life that is based upon His Word. But unless we do this, we will never find rest The Ninevites, as wicked as they were, found rest because they believed God and their works attested to that belief. And so there may be many, even in God's church today, think about this, friends, there may be many in God's church today who think, man, those Ninevites, they must be wicked. But those Ninevites probably experienced more, greater, deeper rest than we are even experiencing. What? What? What a rebuke. What a rebuke. And why? It's because we don't choose to believe God and let our lives attest to that fact. Friends, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're from, if you are hearing the word of the Lord to you right now, if you're hearing it cutting to your heart, my plea, my plea is that you will choose to repent And through the power of God, he says in in Isaiah chapter 27, I think it's verse 5, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he will make peace with me. The Bible tells us that God isn't asking us to get ourselves together for him just out of nowhere. He says when we truly believe him and when we act in obedience, he supplies the strength to do whatever needs to be done. He supplies the strength to turn away from these things. He puts within our heart through the Holy Spirit a sorrow for sin and there is a turning away in our life from sin. Friends, more than ever, we need to be experiencing a deeper experience of repentance with God each and every single day. Now, you may think uh, that as this experience takes place, uh, Jonah would be the first to rejoice, <laughs> um, but unfortunately, it's not so. And here we see another e- example uh, and another warning, really, uh, that tells us that uh, even after we have done something mighty for God, uh, we are not free from the temptations to return back to that state of mind where we're worried about what people think or where we um, return back to that selfish mindset And here we find it, Jonah chapter four, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live Man alive, this is crazy. Literally, it's literally crazy. Uh, but friends, a good reminder for me, you know, whenever I've been studying scripture and I see these things, you know, whether it's Jonah here with this um, statement or whether it's it's uh, Saul before he, before he had his experience on the road to Damascus. And, you know, you read in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says Saul was consenting to his death, you know, consenting to Stephen's death. Uh, Or you look through and you read about, you know, Moses who had committed murder uh, before fleeing into um, the desert of Midian, you know. and, And I look at these experiences and I'm reminded of something. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This isn't just saying, yeah, Moses's heart. Oh yeah, Jonah's heart. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's Saul, his heart. No, it says the heart. It's references to the human heart, the fleshly heart, uh, this heart of this heart of wickedness and deceit. Um, friends, the same heart that was in Jonah, in Saul, and in Moses, that as they continue to follow the impulses that led them to do great heinous deeds, that same heart is in me. And so, what we need to be doing is, as we read these things, and, and often you, you you hear this said among the people of God, even you know thinking about the Israelites. Oh, how could they complain? How could they do this, that, and the other? Friends, we are the same, and if we are not careful, we can fall into the very same example of disobedience, if and we can be hardened um, through the deceitfulness of sin. And we need to be very careful of that. When I read this. As much as even I just said now, I just think this is silly, it's crazy. As much as I think that, I also think to myself, man, I'm 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 weak to it. I'm a weak, sinful man. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not constantly in communion with Christ, I'll fall to the same example. Jonah cared a lot about his um, the way that people thought about him. Um, And for some reason, he thought that it would be better for him to die than to live. Um, And I guess let's just read it through from here on. uh, Jonah chapter four and verse four onwards. Then the Lord said, "'Is it right for you to be angry?' So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter.' And sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened as it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, Is it right for me to be angry? It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant, for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Powerful. Such a powerful message for us today. Jonah He's sitting here in anger, giving in to the impulses of his selfish heart. And as he's thinking, contemplating about the Ninevites, uh, he's getting frustrated. And uh, as this, you know, plant grows up and then goes away the next day, and the sun beats on his head, he's he's getting annoyed and frustrated even further. And God really points to the problem. Uh, in Jonah's heart, and it's a humbling message, but it needs to come home to our heart as well. You have had pity on the plant, for which you have not laboured, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Throughout this whole experience, Jonah had given into the thought the idea that he could find rest in another way than through God's way. And here again is exampled in Jonah chapter 4 that we can find no rest outside of God's calling, no rest outside of God's desire and purpose for our lives. There will be no rest the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25, he that waters will also himself be watered. It's a principle throughout Scripture. We find it again, oof, maybe in Acts chapter 20, I'm not too sure exactly, where uh, the words of Christ are, uh, are said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. True rest in Christ is found in, in our lives being based on the principle of selfless love god demonstrates to jonah here that for him to find rest he needed to allow god to change his heart so that he could see the ninevites as god sees them oftentimes for us as adventists We shy away from sharing the message of the three angels, the specific message, just as there was a specific message given to Jonah, the specific message which is given to God's church today to share with that great city, calling them to repentance. We shy away from it thinking that uh, we will find more rest outside of God's calling and outside of God's purpose. But that is a lie. That is a lie that Satan is using to deceive us and to hinder God's gospel from going forward, and we're believing it. We're believing it. Now, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to just simply acknowledge that God still sent a message through Jonah. His purpose was fulfilled. Jonah had questions. Jonah had doubts. Jonah made mistakes along the way. Jonah did all sorts of different things. God was still able to fulfil His purpose through him. The simple message is this: God is not calling us to be perfect to present the message, but God is calling us in our weakness to take hold of His grace. That, as you know, as God said, as Jesus said to uh, to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter twelve and verse nine, maybe that His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And friends, you may be feeling very weak, and maybe you're very convicted even now listening to the word of God that maybe you've been looking for rest in the wrong places. Maybe you've been looking for rest in the things of this world. And let me tell you, you will never find rest. Never. You will never find true rest for your soul. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Verse 28 to 30, he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I probably missed a few words in that, but that's the main point. Jesus says, if you want to find true rest, come to me. But he doesn't just say, just come to me and that's it. He doesn't just say, just simply believe and that's it. There is a lot more to that understanding of belief. There is a lot more to experience in that belief. He says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke uh, was a, a tool in farming used to connect a strong, healthy oxen to a weak oxen. And together they would plow the field. Now, this is such a powerful, I just, I've actually been thinking and chewing on this, this analogy, but I think it's so powerful for us today. Christ is calling us to unite ourselves with his strength and to walk with him to fulfill his purpose in plowing the field, in going and sharing the gospel, in going and living a life of service, in experiencing not only justification but sanctification, Experiencing day by day um, a transformation, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, by beholding him and keeping our eyes fixed on him, by taking hold of his strength, we will experience a life transformed. And the life of Christ will live in our in us. My favorite Bible verse is Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, the Bible says, For I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our lives are laid in the dust. And Christ lives in our hearts by faith when we are strengthened by his Spirit. And we experience his love, selfless love. And as we continue to walk with him in obedience to his commands, sharing his truth, and sharing his message, the three angels' message to a perishing world, he will give us rest. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, Lord, the truth is, is that you've given a message for your church to share with the world, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. You've given us a message to call out people who are looking to find that rest, looking, wistfully looking up to heaven, to call them to repent and then call them out of Babylon. Lord, you are calling us to do this. And Lord, as it says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, this is not done by our might or by our strength, but it's done by your Holy Spirit. Father God, sometimes it can be very easy also to jump the gun and be Laodiceans taking a message to the world in our own strength. Father, have mercy on us. Lord, show us our true condition. Help us to see that just as Jonah was weak and sickly at times in his faith, Lord, that is our experience. So much so that you say that if our experience doesn't change, you will vomit us out of your mouth. For we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Father, you say to us as you say, to all of your people. Um, Lord, you're calling us to repentance. You're calling us to experience in you a changed life so that we can be prepared and fitted to share your truth. Lord, I thank you that you don't call perfect people uh, to fulfill your message, but you call people who are willing and ready to work uh, for you by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your mercy, your love, and your grace. And I thank you, Lord, that you are with us all along. Father, I'm reminded of the words in Psalms chapter 37, verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he may fall, Lord, uh, though we may stumble, we are not utterly cast down, uh, because, Lord, you uphold us with your right hand father we want to journey with you we want to walk with you we want to fulfill your calling upon our lives we want to connect ourselves with your holy spirit to be used by you for your glory and so we ask lord let this be so in our lives we surrender to you we acknowledge that we are weak but we claim the promise that your grace is sufficient for us and so we ask this in jesus name amen